Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And on your screen in front of you, you see a tweet from a Twitter user called The Big House, at The Big House SSB. The SSB in this case standing for Super Smash Brothers. And apparently The Big House is a company that has put together a very popular Super Smash Brothers tournament that I unfortunately was not familiar with until yesterday. But a number of you flagged this story for me as something that was important to you and something that was important to cover from a business and legal perspective. And as always, I am more than happy to do it. So let's dive in. From their tweet from yesterday, they said the following. The big house is heartbroken to share that we have received a cease and desist from Nintendo of America, Inc., to cancel our upcoming online event. We were informed we do not have permission to host or broadcast the event, primarily due to the usage of Slippy. Sadly, all our competitions are affected. We are forced to comply with the order and cancel the Big House online for both Melee and Ultimate. Refund information will be sent shortly. We apologize to all those impacted. Now, as I have come to understand it from the great work of James Batchelor and Games Industry Biz, who summarized what was happening here, the Big House usually puts together a physical tournament. Obviously, that isn't possible in 2020, and they have come up against certain restrictions from Nintendo that they probably didn't anticipate. Or as is subtitled here, the Big House's first online competition scrapped due to modified melee that enables smoother online play. Nintendo has blocked an independent Smash Brothers tournament due to the organizer's use of mods and, according to the platform holder, illegal copies of the game. The Big House is an annual U.S. Smash Brothers fan convention that's been running since 2011. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, the 2020 event was set to take place online, running from December 4th to 6th. The tournament was to focus on Switch titles, Smash Brothers Ultimate, and fan-favorite GameCube outing Smash Brothers Melee. The latter launched without online functionality, which means tournaments often have to rely on Dolphin, a GameCube and Wii emulator, with fan-made modifications. One such mod is Slippy, the one you saw referenced specifically by the Big House, which was released earlier this year and improves the online infrastructure in a way that makes it smooth enough for competitive matches. So the Big House, which usually gets together physically and probably has these matches without needing to use the same kind of emulators, the same kind of mods, because if everybody's standing in a room with a GameCube controller, it's easier to handle and you can comply more specifically with the copyright laws that we're going to talk about as part of this video. Couldn't do it in 2020. Came up with a solution to use the Dolphin, an emulator of a GameCube, and a specific modification to that emulator called Slippy, that was going to allow them to have the online connectivity necessary to actually run a professional tournament. All good so far. Nintendo obviously objected to that. And we can see in this statement that Patrick Shanley at pshanley88 on Twitter put forth from Nintendo that that was indeed the exact issue that they had. They say, hey, Nintendo appreciates the love and dedication the fighting game community has for the Super Smash Brothers series. You always got to look out when a corporation starts their statement with a, hey, we love you. Don't forget that we love you because we're going to say some stuff. We have partnered with numerous Super Smash Brothers tournaments in the past and have hosted our own online and offline tournaments for the game. And we plan to continue that support in the future. Unfortunately, the upcoming Big House tournament announced plans to host an online tournament for Super Smash Brothers Melee that requires use of illegally copied versions of the game in conjunction with a mod called Slippy during their online event. 
Nintendo therefore contacted the tournament organizers to ask them to stop. They refused, leaving Nintendo no choice but to step in to protect its intellectual property and brands. Nintendo cannot condone or allow piracy of its intellectual property. Now, I know a number of you come out and they make comments to me and say, well, this isn't piracy. I own a copy of Super Smash Brothers Melee. If I use a Dolphin emulator, I should be fine. I can use this emulated ROM. All this stuff we're going to talk about as part of this video. Ultimately, even though we're going to have that discussion about emulators and we're going to have that discussion about code infusion and game genies and all this other stuff that has been brought up in my mentions and elsewise, I want to tell you that in my opinion, that's all a bit of a red herring. And we will get to that in the second half of that video if you want to skip ahead. But basically, Nintendo is going to reserve the right to cut these things off under copyright, under the software licenses that we have talked about, without needing to get into the nitty-gritty about illegal copies, whether ROMs are okay, whether emulated ROMs of games that you own are okay, whether Slippy is okay, and that that is all a bit of a distraction. It is clearly, however, the reason why Nintendo is taking this action against this particular tournament organizer, and so it is still a worthwhile discussion to have. Which leads me to a Reddit post that was brought up to me a couple places in my DMs on Twitter that I think is important. You can see here, this is from a Reddit user called Snake, I believe. It has 3.3 thousand points. A lot of people looked at this. A lot of people talked about it. And so I do think it's important to discuss here in virtual legality. So let's just go over what this person said. It says, what's wild to me is that this is a very scummy cease and desist letter for multiple reasons. Emulators have gone to court at least four times and are legal in the U.S., Code injection modification is legal in the U.S. Game Genie went to court for this. Slippy is a modification of an emulator that uses code injection. In both cases, it should be legal due to prior court cases. And Nintendo has yet to try to shut down a stream due to not having asked permission since Evo 2013. They've had ample opportunity to hit the top streamers since the pandemic started. They haven't. And this particular Reddit user thinks that's important. I'm not a lawyer, but I have a feeling that a court case could beat this cease and desist. Press X to doubt. However, funds are always on the side of the behemoth Nintendo. Absolutely true. They would then be able to set a precedent by winning due to having better legal support that would haunt all scenes in the future. Now, that last bit is true and is something that we've talked about in virtual legality before. Even if you have a great fair use argument, even if you have a great non-infringement argument, even if you have all these court cases behind you, the unfortunate part of the justice system in the United States, absolutely, but also elsewhere around the world, is that if you are well-resourced, if you have a big chip stack at the table, as I usually put it, you can put pressure just from money and lawyers and time and resources on the other party to settle, to get out of here, to take their tournament down, even if you have an ultimate loser in court, because getting to that point, where you are asserting a fair use defense, where you are otherwise going to win your case if you're the big house or someone else, will require time and money and risk that you probably can't afford. So that's exactly correct. But you heard me say I doubt that a court case could beat this cease and desist. Let's talk about why. First of all, I know if you've been in virtual legality before, you've seen these pages before, but I want to set the groundwork. A copyrighted work is the exclusive property of the creator of that copyright. For this purpose, we are talking about Super Smash Bros. Melee. Nintendo created it, so Nintendo has the exclusive rights to reproduce it, to prepare derivative works, focus on that one, to distribute copies of the copyrighted work, to perform it publicly, 
which is what we talk about when we're streaming things like tournaments, when we are putting things on online servers and sending them out across the world. Nintendo has the exclusive right to do these things with their software. And the only way that you or I or the big house or anyone else gets the right to do this, to send things out on the internet, is if Nintendo gives the express permission to those parties to do those things. Now, there is one major exception to that, which a number of you always bring up and is sometimes applicable. The fair use of a copyrighted work is not an infringement of copyright. Now, whether it's something or not is fair use is based on four primary factors. The purpose of the use, this is where it gets into whether it's commercial or non-commercial, the nature of the work, whether it's fictional or reality-based, the amount that you take, and the effect of the potential market for the original copyright holder, if they wanted to sell something into the same market that you are otherwise infringing, if not for this fair use defense. So that's the groundwork. Copyright owners like Nintendo have the baseline rule that they get to control how things are distributed. You might, as a fair use user of their copyright, have a way to get around that. But ultimately, that's not going to get you out of most courtrooms until you've spent a lot of money on lawyers, which is one of the reasons why ceases and desists letters are very effective from copyright holders, especially when we're talking about middle or smaller range businesses. Now, going back to the Reddit post, you saw a couple of things. Emulators have gone to court at least four times and are legal in the U.S. That would be referring to the dolphin. And to this extent, the Reddit user is mostly right. Right. If we go to the Wikipedia page, and I don't recommend doing legal research on Wikipedia, but it's a useful summary, and hopefully I can help guide us through some of the issues that I have with this framework. In the United States, this led to an effort by console manufacturers to stop unofficial emulation, but consistent failures such as Sega versus Accolade, Sony versus Connectix, and Sony versus Bleem have had the opposite effect. According to all legal precedents, emulation is legal within the United States. Now, that is a bit too bold. If you actually go and you look at these cases, you go and you look at Sega versus Accolade, which was all about Accolade effectively reverse engineering the Sega Genesis to make their own cartridges that go into a Sega, and they win that case. That's allowed. They can go and reverse engineer it. And importantly, the court says that on the matter of reverse engineering as a process, where disassembly is the only way to gain access to the ideas and functional elements embodied in a copyrighted computer program, and where there is a legitimate reason for seeking such access, disassembly is a fair use of the copyrighted work as a matter of law, set an important precedent. That precedent was then used in the Sony and Connectix case, where the court once again held that, hey, sometimes you need to break into the BIOS, and the BIOS is attenuated enough, it is separated enough from what needs to be protected by copyright, that we aren't going to prevent your competitors from going and breaking into that BIOS and reverse engineering it to some extent. That's all important. And it is correct that the end result is that the creation of an emulator, for the most part, the reverse engineering of the way software and operating systems function is generally allowed. This is how you get Apple Macintosh computers against PCs back in the day. This is how you get all these various things that are having the same output, but aren't based on the same inputs. That being said, the act of creating an emulator and actually emulating a copyrighted work are distinct under the law. That's why you get this little bit extra here from this blue part in the Wikipedia entry. Unauthorized distribution of copyrighted code remains illegal. I would go one step further and say the actual use of copyrighted code in a format that wasn't delivered to you 
is at bare minimum a gray area. And I know a number of you are going to come into the comments of this video and say, no, 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 no. I should have the right to dump whatever I got from that CD, to take it, to move it over here, to use it over here. And that may well be the case. What I can say as a lawyer is that that hasn't been litigated to the maximal extent of the court system. And that right now you would have a tough time finding a lawyer to tell you it was a slam dunk and that you would definitely win on that argument. So any use of an emulator is in that gray area, is problematic, even when the reverse engineering itself is generally allowed. So emulation is legal is a bit too far, even for a Wikipedia entry. The creation of the emulator, the reverse engineering of the software is legal. What you do with it, okay, then things get dicey. Then we get to code injection, right? And he brings up the Game Genie case. And Game Genie is a great case. I highly recommend checking it out. It's Louis Galoob Toys versus Nintendo of America. But the Game Genie case isn't super useful to what we're talking about here for the following reasons. So basically, they base this entire case on the concept of derivative works. If you look in the discussion here, they say the Copyright Act of 1976 confers upon copyright holders the exclusive right to prepare and authorize others to prepare derivative works based on their copyrighted works. They ultimately find that the Game Genie doesn't do this because the Game Genie does not physically incorporate a portion of a copyrighted work, nor does it supplant demand for a component of that work. The Game Genie is useless by itself. It can only enhance and cannot duplicate or recast a Nintendo game's output. It does not contain or produce a Nintendo game's output in some concrete or permanent form, nor does it supplant demand for Nintendo game cartridges. Such innovations or inventions rarely will constitute infringing derivative works under the Copyright Act. And that's the baseline rule. Now, this actually goes on further and starts talking about fair use defense. We're not going to go over that too much because this actually gets kicked out in the next case we're going to look at. But you'll note here that there were important things that they also considered as part of the fair use concept. Game Genie users are engaged in a non-profit activity. Their use of the Game Genie to create derivative works, therefore, is presumptively fair. Now, sometimes the court goes a little bit too far on these kinds of questions, and we'll talk about commerciality in the next case generally. But ultimately, what this says is the Game Genie is a dumb thing that goes and takes in code, changes it a little bit, and spits it out, and can't do anything without the cartridge itself. The Dolphin might be the same. The Slippy modification might be the same. I don't know. You don't know because we didn't make the thing. We don't know how it was created. We don't know how much was reverse engineered, how much was stolen from actual Nintendo code. We don't know any of these things, or at least I don't. Please, if you do know these things, leave it as a comment to this video. But ultimately, the Game Genie case doesn't get us all the way there. As a matter of fact, the MicroStar versus FormGen case, what you might more be familiar with calling the Duke Nukem map case is a little bit closer to the question here, right? In this particular case, MicroStar, a computer software distributor, downloaded 300 user-created levels and stamped them onto a CD, which it then sold commercially as Nukit to go with Duke Nukem 3D. So Duke Nukem 3D had a map generator that you could create maps with. This company took 300 of those maps, put it on a CD, and tried to sell it separately. As you could probably imagine intuitively, well, FormGen didn't take too kindly to that, but MicroStar had various arguments that it wanted to bring up. Going down a little bit further, said, in particular, MicroStar makes much of the fact that the map files reference the source art library, but do not actually contain any art files themselves. That what they have created is essentially an instruction manual to create these maps, but ultimately the art assets live somewhere else. They live in the artist's palette. The work that MicroStar infringes, however, the court finds, is the story 
a beefy commando named Duke who wanders around post-apocalypse Los Angeles shooting pig cops with a gun, lobbing hand grenades, searching for med kits and steroids, using a jetpack to leap over obstacles, blowing up gas tanks, and avoiding radioactive slime. A copyright owner holds the right to create sequels, which, again, is useful, kind of. Nobody would assume that an emulated version of Super Smash Bros. Melee is, in fact, a sequel to Super Smash Bros. Melee. But what's more important is that we start to touch on other issues with respect to intellectual property. First, we get this kind of notion about transformative works. One of those things that comes up a lot on this channel in the comments to my videos is... Hey, Rick, when you say that we've got a problem streaming a video game, using a video game in a way that the software license doesn't dictate, aren't these just a toolbox? Doesn't the actual customer coming in and using it in some fashion create a transformation that should end up with a fair use defense? And to that I say, maybe, as I often say from a legal perspective, but it's not at all clear. You'll see here in this paragraph from MicroStar, they tried to kick it over to the users a little bit. As a preliminary matter, MicroStar asks us to focus on the player's use of their CD in evaluating the fair use claim, because according to MicroStar, it's the player creating the derivative work, not us. In Galoob, the Game Genie case, after we had assumed for purposes of argument that the Game Genie did create derivative works, we went on to consider the fair use defense, but that fair use analysis was not necessary and therefore is clearly dicta. If you aren't familiar with the term dicta, congratulations, you didn't go to law school. Probably a big win for you. It depends. Maybe you're a happy lawyer. I don't know. But dicta is basically the court going off on a tangent that wasn't required to realize the legal conclusion that they made. So back in the Game Genie case, they ultimately determined that the Game Genie itself is not infringing. So you don't need a fair use defense. So those big, long paragraphs that we looked at in the Game Genie case aren't actually useful. And the Ninth Circuit properly, in my opinion, says, okay, all of that is nice. But it's dicta. It's just the court kind of pontificating into the ether because it didn't need to reach those questions so we can look at it differently. In respect of this particular claim that it's the players that are violating copyright and not us, they note that Nintendo alleged in that Game Genie case contributory infringement. The actual claim that Nintendo brought was that the Game Genie wasn't necessarily infringing. It was getting the players to infringe and that under the law, there is a way to bring a claim against that intermediary body that is contributing to the availability of the infringement. That is, in fact, the baseline rule for why the YouTubes and Facebooks and Twitches of the world have to respond to DMCA notices, right? It's not that they're infringing. They didn't put the video up. It's because they have created this platform that allows someone to infringe. And so if they didn't take it down, they could be potentially liable for contributory infringement. Here in this particular case, however, the court notes that FormGen alleges direct infringement by MicroStar. They took the maps, they put them on a CD, it's their infringement. And so the court ultimately determines that the maps themselves are infringing because they are this kind of sequel concept to the story at hand. More importantly for our analysis here, they also go into a fair use defense argument and they find every commercial use of copyrighted material is presumptively an unfair exploitation of the monopoly privilege that belongs to the owner of the copyright. The fair use defense will be much less likely to succeed when it is applied to fiction or fantasy creations. Both the quantity and importance of the material MicroStar used are substantial. And by selling their CD, MicroStar impinged on FormGen's ability to market new versions of the DN3D story. Which leads you to the conclusion that if you've got one of these ROMs, if you are otherwise selling it, making it available, distributing it, then you could get into trouble 
Because especially if you're selling it, it's a commercial use. It's about fantasy or fiction. It's everything in the game. And you really are impinging on the ability of someone like Nintendo to sell copies of a new Super Smash Bros. Melee available on the Switch or one of their modern devices. And we know now from the recent past that Nintendo is invested in bringing forward its Nintendo games and its N64 games and making little mini consoles. And so if it came to a court decision, you would have to go and argue that having code-based ROMs of Super Smash Bros. Melee doesn't do all these things, which becomes ever more problematic when you are selling access to them, right? Refund information will be sent shortly. Registration fees were collected. And it's fair enough to say those registration fees were collected solely to actually run the organization. I don't know what kind of profit margins this company was taking. That's ultimately unimportant because at the end of the day, you're still in a position to be running these ROMs on an emulator that might itself be legal, but now you're broadcasting it to the world. You're connecting people online in a fashion that wasn't intended from the original software. And Nintendo probably is going to have a case. Now, if you're interested in these issues, I highly recommend checking out an article from a couple of years back on TechRadar called Are Game Emulators Legal? Now, ultimately, what you will find if you read this article is, as it describes here, emulators are sort of tricky, legally speaking. And that's exactly right. If you actually go and you look at this article, you'll get a lot of maybes. You'll get a lot of, well, emulators are legal, but ROMs aren't. Distribution probably isn't. Commercialization has an issue. And yes, we've got a lot of cases that say these things are broadly okay, but maybe not for you individually. However, if you're an individual and you're running a game, then maybe they won't bring a claim against you because that tends to look bad for the Nintendos of the world, etc., 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 which leads me to why this is all a bit of a red herring. A very important, interesting discussion. It's certainly important to Nintendo, and it's why they are taking this action right now, but ultimately a red herring because of the following. Going back to the Reddit post, we see this last bullet. Nintendo has yet to sh try to shut down a stream due to not having asked permission since Evo 2013. They've had ample opportunity to hit the top streamers since the pandemic started. This bullet comes from a place that I see a lot in my videos that is wrong on the fundamentals. That copyright is the type of claim that you need to bring against everybody in order to defend the copyright's existence. I believe this comes from the very true notion that if you don't defend your trademark out there, that it can become diluted and you can ultimately lose the protection that the trademark otherwise offers you. That is not the same case for copyright. You can waive copyright infringement against everybody but that guy. And you can find that guy and say, I don't like you for reason X, Y, or Z. I don't like the color of your hair. Or in this particular case, I don't like that you are now making public the use of this emulator, the use of this modification, and it doesn't matter why I don't like it, right? The red herring is largesse, which we've talked about in this space a lot before, which is why I bring up this tweet from Reversal at Reversal X7, who said, hey, did I just get banned on Twitch for Age of Calamity, which hasn't released yet? We've received the notification of claimed infringement with respect to your account. Here are the details. You have infringed on this particular broadcast of Age of Calamity. Copyrighted work. The reported live channels are currently streaming gameplay videos of Nintendo's copyright protected and unreleased video game Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity in violation of Nintendo's rights. 
And this is where the rubber hits the road. This is what we have talked about in this space at length. I did a video about Final Fantasy VII Remake earlier this year, putting restrictions on whether or not you could stream it if you got a copy of the game before its official release date, as they were dealing with logistical issues from the 2020 pandemic. I talked at length about whether or not Among Us, one of the most popular streamed games this year, is actually being streamed, quote-unquote, illegally, because the licenses under which people purchased their copy of Among Us don't actually provide for streaming. Now, as part of that video, I said, hey, the Among Us developers are thrilled that you are streaming it. They became popular. They became rich. They are functioning as a company because you all decided to stream their game. And my main argument is that developers like the ones behind Among Us need to start putting in their licenses the right to stream so that streamers aren't left in the lurch and having to operate in this gray area that allows for the various companies to come up against them. How do they do that? Well, if you go and you look, and all I could find in terms of end-user license agreements from the Nintendo side of things was the Switch family. So this doesn't necessarily apply to your purchased copy of Super Smash Bros. Melee, but we can assume that most of this language would have been the same even back then, that when Nintendo actually sells you a bit of software, it is done on the following basis. Subject to the terms of this agreement, you may use the software, content, and data that came with the console, or that is compatible with or authorized for use in connection therewith, including any updates or replacements to that software, content, or data that we or our authorized providers make available to you. The software is licensed, not sold, to you solely for your personal non-commercial use on the console. You may not publish, copy, modify, reverse engineer, lease, rent, decompile, disassemble, distribute, offer for sale, or create derivative works, there it is again, of any portion of the software or bypass, modify, defeat, tamper with, or circumvent any of the functions or protections of the console unless otherwise permitted by law. Yeah, I skipped it a little bit, but the DMCA, that one that you are familiar with in respect of copyright takedowns, also has a non-circumvention clause that is used by these particular platform holders, the creators of commercial electronics in general, to have another argument against reverse engineering that really didn't exist in the same fashion in those cases that we looked at prior to this part of the video. Now, that being said, you look at that, you see that license, you might not like it, I understand if you don't, but what Nintendo is saying is that we are the owner of the copyright to Super Smash Bros. Melee, and we are licensing it to you for your personal non-commercial use. You can't do anything else with it, which you might turn around and say, Rick, well, how do tournaments exist? How do streams on Twitch exist? And the answer to that is that Nintendo plays a little game. Nintendo has a post up that says the following. We are humbled every day by your loyalty and passion for Nintendo games. Again, look out when corporate starts by saying how happy they are. Characters and worlds and respect that you want to be able to express yourself creatively by sharing your own original videos and images using content from our games. As long as you follow some basic rules, we will not object to your use of gameplay footage and or screenshots captured from games for which Nintendo owns the copyright in the content you create for appropriate video and image sharing sites. Now, from a legal perspective, understand what's happening here. The terms of service, the end user license agreement, whatever other contract might be applicable, and there might be one that is more specifically applicable to Super Smash Bros. Melee. It just wasn't available in general online. If you can find it, absolutely link it to this video. I would love it if you did. But this is the actual legal framework. This is the agreement between the parties. This could be useful as evidence if Nintendo tried to sue you, but isn't actually incorporated in the legal rights that they have granted to you. They have only granted these rights. If we scroll down, 
We see that Nintendo reserves all other rights not expressly granted, reserves all rights in its intellectual property, and you would have to make the case that this blog post, effectively, grants you additional rights that could have been incorporated into the license itself, but were not. So it's a bit of a game. And I see this come up a lot in my videos that people say, hey, I've got a forum post from a Ubisoft guy that says it's fine. I've got a forum post from an EA guy that says, yeah, absolutely, stream FIFA or whatever it might be. And that's all well and good. And that's useful. Put it in your file folder if it came to it. But it isn't actually a legally operative document. So this is all that gray area that I really, really don't love. And I think a lot of streamers should pay more attention to. These rules that Nintendo puts forth say the following. You may monetize your videos and channels using the monetization methods separately specified by Nintendo. Other forms of monetization of our intellectual property for commercial purposes are not permitted. Like collecting, for instance, registration fees in order to participate in a tournament with our intellectual property as its baseline, right? We encourage you to create videos that include your creative input and commentary, but you shouldn't just post things that don't have that creative input or commentary. You are only permitted to use Nintendo game content that has officially been released or from promotional materials officially released by Nintendo, right? So you look at how this operates. You look at how you get to a ban like this one on Twitch and Nintendo making this claim is that Nintendo never gave you the right to broadcast. They basically allow you to buy their leave. And if you do something like violate this bullet point, they just go back to this and they say, hey, Twitch, he's infringing, never had the right to do so which means in a very real way, you're always infringing. It's just that Nintendo has put forth a list of bullets that say when they are not going to bring a claim up, right? If you want to use the intellectual property of a third party, you need to get their permission. You're not permitted to imply that you are sponsored by or affiliated with Nintendo. And we reserve the right to remove any content that we believe is unlawful, infringing, inappropriate, or not in line with these guidelines, right? Not in line with these guidelines. That's all well and good. But we reserve the right to remove any content that is infringing, is always going to be everything. Nintendo puts forth this big, long document. And yes, a court would probably look askance at it if you brought it up as a defense and Nintendo was trying to make an example of you. So you would have some evidence, but you've already spent $100,000 on lawyers by the time you get there. And Nintendo ultimately squeezes in in this last bullet. We also reserve the right to remove anything, period. And for most small creators, even medium-sized creators, they're going to get a cease and desist order like the big house did. And they're going to say, okay, so why did Nintendo move on this? Well, Nintendo clearly looks like they had the right to move on it, even if it gives them p bad PR, which I think this will. But why did they move on it? They moved on it because they could. In my very first video on this topic, I was looking at a gentleman that was doing streams of, I believe it was opening FIFA Ultimate Team Packs. And he had been doing this for a long, long, long time. And at some point while he was doing this, he started getting angry at Electronic Arts or angry at Electronic Arts representatives. He started saying bad things about them. And so Electronic Arts just put together a whole panoply of claims against his channel. Every single time he had broadcast FIFA, it was infringement. And he said, I don't know what to do. And I did a video on it because it's very important to understand that in most cases, outside of very specific licenses, like that for League of Legends or Minecraft that specifically says you can stream, then ultimately you are relying on this license that gives you personal non-commercial use of the software that you've otherwise purchased. And at any time, Nintendo can say, hey, you know what? We don't like something about you. In the case of the Electronic Arts guy, it was, we don't like that you're being mean and you are presenting a bad face for the image of our brand. In this case, it's probably very similar. They use the argument that it's piracy and they might win that at the end of the day. They might not. 
There's certainly a lot of case law going each direction. And as that Tech Radar article says, it's a gray area. It's tricky. It certainly is. Actually using a ROM on an emulator is much more tricky than building one. But regardless of whether or not they would win that case, they almost certainly would win the case that they never gave anybody permission to broadcast or to run a tournament using Super Smash Brothers Melee. So this fourth bullet, although it makes intuitive sense, and I understand why people bring it up both on Reddit and in my space, doesn't actually matter. Nintendo reserved the right to bring an infringement claim, to issue a cease and desist when they chose to do so. And really any broadcast that isn't per personal use, regardless of whether or not it actually complies with this or not, is infringement. And if Nintendo decides that they don't like what you are doing, they can bring this up. The only real recourse that we as users have, or if you're a big fan of the Big House or Super Smash Brothers, is to make sure that actions like this are bad public relations for the company at issue. There were a lot of video game companies, Nintendo included, that not too long ago were issuing strikes on everything willy-nilly. And it was only that people, the actual consumers of video games, that they went out and said, no, no, that's not good. I'm not going to buy as much from you. I'm going to put out on Twitter or Facebook or whatever that I think this is wrong, that you shouldn't be doing this regardless of your legal rights, that those companies looked and said, hey, if this is going to affect our bottom line, we shouldn't use those legal rights in the fashion that we have. Now, ultimately, I'd love to see these licenses actually have the provisions that are in here to some extent. Hey, you can stream if you follow some specific rules. Until that happens though, streamers are always and forever going to be operating in this gray area. And ultimately it's going to be up to the copyright holder to decide when and if you've done something that they don't like. This has been Virtual Legality for today. I hope you enjoyed this video. We are talking about the business and law of video games and technology in general, really all the time in this space. We just went over YouTube's new terms of service yesterday. If you liked it, please like, subscribe, share, tell people that we are here. Please tell the Super Smash Brothers community that we had this discussion. I'd love to hear from them in the comments to this video. Otherwise, if you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.